I'm going to tell you why he came. And so Psalm chapter Bibles this morning, if you will, please, and turn to Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46 in your Bibles. And I want to uh, do something that I don't do a whole lot on Sunday mornings. I'm going to preach a prophetic a prophetic message today. And <clears throat> although some of our folks, some of these things will be known to you, there are, I feel sure, there are a few folks that are sitting in this room today that have never heard, you've never heard some of the stuff that I'm gonna bring out this morning. Several years ago, the Lord, uh, the Lord had laid upon my heart to try to put some, uh, some teachings into book form and I started it and, and then, you know, with so much work, I just, you know, I just, it fell by the wayside. And well, I can still take you, I can still tell you the night. We were uh, down here in the old building. And I don't even know why necessarily, but it was after a Wednesday service, I think. And uh, Brother Ronald Looney, you pray for Brother Ronnie Miss Janice today. But Brother Ronnie came back in a little vestibule we had down there. And, and he was, we were just making general conversation about something. And he said something, and the Holy Spirit convicted my heart about you need to get back to writing again. So, so that Wednesday night, I went home and I thought, I'm gonna do this. And, and I remember beginning the process of learning how to, how to write, how to publish a book and, and uh, some of the hoops that you gotta jump through. One of the things that I did was I uh, worked on hiring an editor in Indianapolis, Indiana. And this lady and I were uh, going back and forth and I would send her part of the manuscript and you know she would recon she would contact me and uh, she claimed to be a believer she claimed to be a christian but after i started sending her to some of my notes and it's my very first book on revelation and i started sending her some of my notes she she emailed me emailed me back and she said you know hmm she said i've i've, I've went to church but she said i've never heard these kind of things before and she said something to the uh, uh, something to the uh, extent that you have a very colorful way of trying to illustrate, you know, dramatic, very dramatic, you know, uh, almost as if to say, you know, this is really good fiction. And what I'm going to tell you today is not fiction. It's literal. It's literal. And I'm going to tell you why he came. And so Psalm 46 in your Bibles, when you find your place Let's all stand this morning, if you're able, out of, out of respect for the reading of God's word. Psalm 46, verse one, God is our refuge, strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake, with the swelling thereof. I want you to pay attention to all the terms that the psalmist is using here. And then we notice in verse three, he ends verse three with that little word that's used in the Psalms. It's the word selah. And we know that the Hebrew, that the, that the Psalms at one time was the Hebrew songbook. And the word selah there is a, in musical terms, it's a rest or a pause. And, and what our Bible is telling us is, is when you see that little word in the book of Psalms, what the writer is saying is this, pause. 
and reflect on what you just read. He says here, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, and then he says, pause and think about what you just read. Then verse 4, he says, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the, of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early, the heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And there's that, there's that word again, Selah. Pause. Think about what you just read. Verse 8, he says, come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he has made in the earth. You may be seated this morning. And, and I, I want to read the whole psalm. It's, it's such a great psalm. And there's so, so many more things that we can glean from Psalm 46. I'm just going to point out two today, just two things we'll point out today. I'm going to really pay attention to my outline, so please forgive me for that. I'm going to read some things. I don't, I, I don't do that all the time, but I'm going to read some things to you today. And, uh, but I hope you'll be open-minded, and I hope you'll, uh, I hope you'll hear, us, hear us out today. Though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you so much. Wow, what a spirit that's in this place. Lord, a spirit of worship. Lord, thank you for reminding us that love came and it came in the form of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for being willing to come and bleed and suffer and die and not just die, but shed your blood, not just shed your blood. Lord, you were willing to, to, to be buried and to, to be risen again. It's what we call the gospel. And Lord, you did all of that so we could be saved. Father, I pray that You'll bless our discussion this morning. I believe what Brother Russell taught in our class this morning in the auditorium class and then what Miss Krista just sang about, really in a way it all ties in together. And so Lord, bless our discussion. We pray for the Holy Spirit's help and his power. We love you. We praise you. We ask you for your help now. In Jesus' name, we pray. And for his sake and all God's people said, amen. Psalm 46 is a psalm of great comfort. Great comfort. Interesting psalm. Some have suggested that Moses actually wrote Psalm 46 after crossing the Red Sea, which was a miraculous day of deliverance. Most of you remember that story as they've uh, made their way out of Egypt and, uh, and uh, here they are uh, cornered up against the waters of the Red Sea. And you remember the story how God parted the waters of the Red Sea and the children of Israel passed over on what the Bible calls dry ground. God delivered them that day from the, uh, from the Egyptian army. And some have suggested that Moses was the one that actually penned the words to this Hebrew song in Psalm 46. Others suggest that Psalm 46 was written by Hezekiah after supernaturally, God supernaturally protects Israel from the merciless king Sennacherib. That it was then that Hezekiah penned the words to Psalm 46, regardless of that, God is assuring us of something, and that's this, that he is in control. Amen. He's in control. 
And Calvary, just let me just go ahead and say real quickly that he is in control in the good times. But he is very much in control in the bad times. And we lose sight of that a lot of times. We think, boy, as long as things are going good and I've got enough money to pay the bills and everybody's healthy and the roof's not leaking, God is in control. But when everything falls apart, God is not in control. I want to tell you something, that good or bad, God is in control. And that's, that's what Psalm 46 is teaching us here. Regardless of what the future holds, God is in control. In fact, look what he says in verse one. God is our, what is he? He's our refuge and strength. And then the Bible says he is a very present help in trouble. But Calvary, I'm gonna be honest. I believe that Psalm 46 is more than just a hypothetical analogy of comfort, although I believe that is definitely present there in Psalm 46, but I believe it's more than that. Why does the Holy Spirit speak in such strong terms and use, uses these, uh, what we would call alarming illustrations? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, look at verse two. The Holy Spirit says, therefore will not we fear though, though the earth be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Wow, it's <laughs> pretty strong language. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the, the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Why does the Spirit of God use this strong language, this strong terminology, these strong pictures that he gives us here in Psalm chapter 46? And the reason that I believe he does is because that which is spoken of in Psalm chapter 46 is not just hypothetical, but that which is spoken of in Psalm 46 is actually literal and prophetical. In other words, the things that we just read a moment ago as a congregation, those things are going to happen. They're going to happen. This is not just an illustration that Hezekiah is trying to give us or Moses possibly is trying to give us or whoever penned the words to Psalm 46, but this is something that's literally going to happen in the future. So I'm going to give you two things, two, two thoughts that Psalm 46, Six teaches two important events, I'll put it that way, that Psalm 46 points to. Number one is what I'm gonna call monumental tribulation. Tribulation, what do you mean, pastor? Look back at verse two again. Psalm 46, verse two, the psalmist said, therefore will not be, we fear though the earth be removed and though, look at this, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Now, I want you to take your Bibles now, if you will, and I want you to turn over to uh, Revelation chapter number eight in your Bibles, Revelation chapter number eight. And I really believe this. I believe that Psalm chapter 46 is, uh, is a psalm that points to a future event that's going to take place. And I believe that we read about that future event in Revelation chapter number eight. Look at Revelation eight and uh, look at verse number eight, if you will. Last book of your Bible, of course, Revelation chapter eight and verse number eight. The Bible says, and the second angel sounded, look at this, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and the third part of the ships were destroyed. Now, you say, preacher, what is this? 
And for years and years, years and years, young in the Bible, I read this, I read this scripture and I always thought, you know, this mountain that Revelation's talking about that's being cast into the sea. Well, this must be an asteroid. There's so much talk about asteroids right now. Did you know that NASA, even as we speak, that NASA is, is, is doing experimental uh, runs right now on trying to knock an asteroid out of its orbit? That's going on right now because they believe that there's a very high likelihood that asteroids at one point or another are gonna make contact with the earth. So for years, I thought, well, that's what, that, that's what this is, this mountain that's been cast into the sea. This is an asteroid that is going to crash through our atmosphere and it's going to crash into, uh, into the earth. But I'm going to be honest with you, what the Bible is talking about here is exactly what the Bible describes. It is a great mountain burning with fire cast into the ocean. Now, don't go there because I've got so many places to turn today, but I'll just read this for you. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 51, verse 25. Behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain, saith the Lord, which destroys all the earth, and I will stretch out mine hand upon thee and roll thee down from the rocks and will make thee a burnt mountain. So a, a, a great mountain of some kind is gonna be cast into the sea, a great mountain. Now, when we think about great mountains in the world, you know, automatically, a lot of times, our minds go to something like um, Mount Everest, for instance. Five and a half miles high, Mount Everest. 29,029 feet. Study that out. Mount Everest is not even close to the ocean. 600 miles away from the from the closest coastline, 600 miles away. And, and uh, honestly, if you were to, on your, uh, your maps, on your phone or your, or your iPad or whatever, if you were to map it from Mount Everest down to the closest coast, it's about a 24-hour track. Just because it's not an easy, it's not an easy trip. But 600 miles away from the ocean, and yet the Bible says that this mountain's gonna be carried into the midst of the sea. So I thought, okay, is there a mountain that's, that, that's, that's a great mountain that's close to the sea, one that could be cast into the midst of the sea? Well, you're looking at one. This is not just a backdrop. I put that backdrop there on purpose. This is actually a mountain called Mauna Kea. Now, it's not one that you hear about as much. It's a dormant volcano on the island of Hawaii and uh, in case you don't know, Mauna Kea is the tallest mountain on earth. That's why I thought, Mount Everest, no. Mauna Kea is the tallest mountain on earth at 33,100 feet. But the reason it does not receive that acclaim is because much of Mauna Kea is hidden by something. The Pacific Ocean. It's in the midst of the sea. By the way, located, located just next door, 20 miles away is another great mountain called Mauna Loa. Mauna Loa is the largest subaerial volcano on earth. Listen to this, Calvary. And for 38 years, it's been inactive until I got ready to preach on this this week. I'm in my study, I can hear the news playing. No, I'm sorry, I take that back. I'm in my study working 
And all of a sudden on my iPhone, a news break flashes up on my, on my phone and it says Mauna Loa has erupted. <laughs> I, I walked out of my study, went in my wife. I said, you're not gonna believe this. I'm preaching on this Sunday. And this volcano's been dormant for 38 years. And for the first time in 38 years, this volcano is beginning to erupt. Now, what causes this great mountain that Psalm 46 talks about and Revelation chapter eight, what causes this great mountain to plunge into the sea? And here's the answer. The stage for all these things are set when, I believe, when the sixth seal of Revelation is opened during the tribulation period. Would you take your Bibles, you're in Revelation chapter eight, so just turn back a page and look at Revelation chapter number six. And we find that when the sixth seal is opened on the earth, we find the Bible tells us that a great earthquake takes place on the earth. Revelation six, verse 12. John the Revelator said, and I beheld, and when he had, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, and lo, there was a great earthquake Hey, church, look, look, what look what happens here. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she's shaken of a mighty wind and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. You say, preacher, that's just a, uh, that's just a, 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 a biblical poetry. I don't think so. Well, that's just signs and symbols. I don't think so. I think that everything we read just now in, in Revelation chapter six without a shadow of any doubt is gonna happen just like the Bible says it's gonna happen. This earthquake that Revelation chapter six talks about is going to be so severe that every mountain and island will be moved. Now we think about natural disasters, we think about hurricanes and they are terrible. Tornadoes. They're terrible. But I think probably of all the natural disasters in the world, an earthquake, an earthquake seems to be the most devastating. Now, I don't know, I don't know about how y'all are, but man, I love to study this kind of stuff out. And you're, you're gonna have to sort of wanna listen on purpose today because I know this is a little different. But man, I, I, I love, for instance, we got a few old timers in here today who were around in 1980. Yeah. I know, you're saying, preacher, that's not been that long ago. I know, I know. But some of these kids are getting grown up, weren't born to, till the 2000s. 1980, Washington State. There was a mountain called Mount St. Helens. And Mount St. Helens, wow, Mount St. Helens begin to smoke and they begin to become concerned about Mount St. Helens. And boy, if you've ever watched, and I encourage you to go do it, go back and watch the video footage. It's absolutely amazing as when Mount St. Helens erupts, literally the side of the mountain comes rolling down. The whole side of the mountain comes rolling down. And I honestly, it boggles my mind. You know what they tell us? That when Mount St. Helens erupted, that it was the force of Mount St. Helens was equal to 1,600 Hiroshima bombs. I'm thinking, what? How can that even be true? That when that mountain went off with such force, 
that it was equal to 1,600 atom bombs. Now you say, preacher, come on now. Hang, hang, hang in there with me, church. December the 26th, a little more recently, 2004. An earthquake occurred in the Indian Ocean off the coast of Indonesia with a magnitude of 9.1 on the Richter scale. The earthquake happened, listen to this, the earthquake happened over 18 miles underneath the seabed. 18 miles underneath the seabed and 150 miles from the coast of Indonesia. But with a magnitude of 9.1, it's the third largest earthquake ever recorded on a seismograph. The earthquake had the longest duration of faulting ever observed between 8.3 and 10 minutes. It caused the entire planet to vibrate as much as a quarter of an inch and triggered other earthquakes as far away as Alaska, and you know what I'm telling you is the truth, a quarter of a million people perished because of an earthquake. Now, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to paint a little picture in your mind. In 2007, the United States Geological Survey put together something called the, what they called the Multi-Hazards Demonstration Project. It was a film depicting what would be likely to happen in the event that there's a magnitude 7.8 earthquake on the San Andreas Fault in Southern California. Please pray my kids are not there when this happens. On average, there's a big earthquake south of the San Gabriel Mountains. We were there not many months ago. Uh, every 150 years, the last one to occur was 300 years ago. We're long overdue. Here's the projected scenario if that 7.8 earthquake were to happen. It's 10 a.m., 7.5 million are busy at work, several, one, several hundred thousand are commuting to jobs, over 200,000 people work and reside on opposite sides of the San Andreas Fault. Today, these families will be separated, some forever. The shaking lasts only for two minutes, two minutes. 1,800 people will die. 53,000 will be injured. There'll be $213 billion in damage. 1,500 buildings will collapse. Infrastructure will be severely compromised. Bridges, overpasses, underpasses, subways, interstates, railways. The rupture travels 200 miles northwest along the San Andreas Fault. 300,000 buildings suffer significant damage. Gas lines and water lines are severed. Large numbers of people are trapped in collapsed buildings. Over 1,600 fires. Millions of people will try to use their cell phones, which will cause the system to become overloaded. In the months ahead, there'll be tens of thousands of aftershocks. No water for weeks or possibly months. No electricity. Travel be almost impossible and 255,000 people will be left homeless. That didn't come out of the sword of the Lord. That was the United States Geological Survey who, who promoted that. And this is only a 7.8. And yet what our Bible prophesied is gonna happen is called a great earthquake. We read it a moment ago in Revelation 6, a great earthquake. Now, somebody says, Pastor, you're being uh, overly dramatic. I don't think so. Think about it. A lot of this is just science. 
We're getting a little bit more recent. 2011, in 2011, an earthquake hit Tohoku, Japan with a 9.0 magnitude. The earthquake hit 45 miles out to sea, 19 miles under the seabed. The earthquake triggered powerful tsunami waves that reached up to 23 feet. And the earthquake moved Honshu, the main island of Japan, eight feet to the east and shifted the earth on its axis by estimates of between four to 10 inches. The earthquake spoken of in Revelation will be so severe, listen to this now, that the Bible says the sun will become black and the moon will become as blood. Now, wait a minute, how can that happen? How can you have a earthquake that is so severe that it causes the sun that's 91 million miles away, it causes the sun to turn black and the Bible says it causes something to fall from the sky. In fact, our Bible says that it causes the sky to roll back like a scroll. And here's the answer. This great tribulation earthquake, I believe, will trigger volcanic eruptions all over the world. You don't have to turn there, but please listen to these words. In Micah chapter one and verse two, I believe there's little doubt to this. Micah one verse two, hear all you people hearken, O earth, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. One article I read said this, with, an, with either an abrupt acceleration or de deceleration of the earth's crust, the buckling effect and the crust being thrust up and down, there's a potential that virtually every volcano on the planet could erupt simultaneously. This doesn't mean only the active volcanoes, but the magnitude of such an event could very well reactivate the dormant volcanoes as well. In other words, this great earthquake that's forecast to come in Revelation chapter six could shift the earth's crust in such a violent way that every volcano would, would erupt. This... Uh, picture. That's one. That's one volcano. No wonder the Bible says in Revelation 6, 14, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. No wonder the book of Joel chapter two, verse 30 says, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that, the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Another article I read, and I apologize for reading, but another, another article I read said it like this. Volcanic eruptions have an immediate destructive impact on the local region as a result of pyroclastic flows, lava, mud flows, landslides, and toxic gas emissions. On the other hand, there's also a long-term impact that can result as the hyperactive volcanic activity could last for months, years, or even decades. 
The buckling of Earth's crust during a pole shift would likely cause most active and dormant volcanoes to become extremely hyperactive. Imagine if you can, every volcano on the Earth erupting simultaneously for an indeterminate duration. Consider the eruption of a single large volcano, Mount Pinatubo in 1991. Lowered Earth's overall temperature by nearly one degree. The whole Earth. It doesn't take much imagination to realize the potential global impact from possibly 100 volcanoes erupting simultaneously in a cataclysmic event. These eruptions would release high concentrations of sulfur-rich gas into the atmosphere. The sulfur then mixes with water vapor in the atmosphere to form clouds of sulfuric acid. The acid droplets both absorb incoming solar radiation and bounce it back into space. The result is lower global temperatures. Such an event would certainly send so much volcanic ash into the atmosphere that the sun would be blocked out for months I want you to understand something, church. I didn't get this out of like a Bible, some kind of a Bible study book. Add to this that up to three to six or even 15 meters of ash could fall from the sky and completely cover the grass, the bushes, and other low-lying vegetation. Now, again, pastor, what's your point? My point's monumental tribulation. It's coming. It's coming. Now, you say, preacher, is it going to happen exactly like that? I don't know, but I believe it's going to be close. In fact, would you, would you notice this picture? Some of you know this and others don't, but basically what you see around the Pacific Ocean right there is what they call the Pacific Rim, the Pacific Rim. And all those little dots that go around the Pacific Rim is somewhere between 715 to about 950 volcanoes. Many of those are active. And this is what I believe our Bible is teaching us is that when the sixth seal is released on this earth and this great earthquake begins to take place, basically church, okay, you ladies can understand this. Have you ever cooked with a pressure cooker? Well, you know, before you take that lid off, you better let the pressure off of it. If you try to take that lid off and that thing's been, mama had one of those old ones. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? And mama would, well, she'd can green beans and, and you'd hear that thing in there. And, and that, that uh, thing was building pressure and building pressure. If you take that lid off, that thing will explode. And this is what I believe our Bible's teaching that when the tribulation period happens and Revelation chapter six is unleashed on this earth and the earth begins to go into convulsions and it begins to shake and it begins to, the, the crust of the earth begins to shift. These, the, it'll, be like, it'll be like taking the lid off of 950 volcanoes and they will begin to erupt all around the world simultaneously. Now, if Mount St. Helens is, is, is equal to 1,600 atom bombs, and that's one volcano, anybody want to take a guess how the tribulation period is going to be? People say, well, we're in the tribulation right now. <laughs> Not even a chance. Not even a chance. And so we see monumental 
tribulation. But it's just Psalm 46, just interesting though. Look at this. Boy, God uh, sort of gives us the paddle there, but then he applies some salve to the wound. Not only do we see monumental tribulation, but look at this church. We see millennial peace. Same Psalm, Psalm 46. Immediately after reading this scripture about the mountains going into the midst of the sea, we find that the Bible gives us a wonderful contrast. And it it, it does that quite a bit. Psalm 46 and verse two, therefore will not we fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. But then we get to verse four and all of a sudden it's like everything changes. And verse four says, there is a river. (laughs) There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacles of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will, uh, God shall help her and that right early. And then you say, pastor, okay, I get the first part, but where do you get millennial peace from that next part? Listen to this. Did you know what the second coming of Christ? Okay, rapture the church. Jesus is coming in the air. He's gonna catch us away. The church, his bride, he's gonna catch us away. We're gonna meet the Lord in the air. Amen to that. We're gonna meet the Lord in the air. But let me tell you the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. When Jesus comes in the rapture, he comes in the air. When Jesus comes in the second coming, he comes bodily to the earth. In fact, church, he will not only come to the earth, but the Bible tells us that when he comes to the earth, he will set his feet, Jesus will set his feet physically on the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says that that mountain will split in two places. A valley will run east and west. And in this valley, a river will flow. And that river will flow toward the Mediterranean Sea and that river will flow toward the Dead Sea. In fact, the Bible says that the Dead Sea that's been dead for all these years, nothing can live in the Dead Sea. The Bible says that that life-giving river when it makes its way to the Dead Sea will again begin to give the Dead Sea life. It's referred to as a river that shall make glad the city of God. In fact, church, you've got to do this later. Don't do it now. But later in your devotions, you've got to read Ezekiel 47. You've got to. So write it down and read it for your devotions. And in Ezekiel 47, we see a picture of this river. This river is a river that's described as a place of healing, a place of sustenance, a place of life, a place of pleasure. In fact, I'm not so sure that Ezekiel 47 is maybe not a picture of the river of life. In Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Now, again, I hope I I hadn't lost you. So the first part of the psalm talks about monumental tribulation. And then we get to that next verse and it talks about millennial peace. We go from one extreme to the other. You say, pastor, what, what are you trying to say? And this is what I believe the Bible is doing. In Psalm 46, it's presenting the readers with a choice. Everybody hearing me today? What's the choice? You see it on the screen. What is the choice? Monumental tribulation or millennial peace. 
for those who are lost and you're left behind, healing is not what you have to look forward to. For those who are lost and are left behind, peace is not what you have to look forward to. For those who are left behind, you've never been saved and you continue to reject and you continue to hold out and you say, one of these days I will and one of these days I will, but you never do. And then all of a sudden the rapture of the church takes place and it happens in the twinkling of an eye and before you know it, it's done. And the church is gone and you've not repented. You've not gotten right with God. The Bible says that what you have to look forward to is something called monumental tribulation. It's gonna be it's going to be apocalypse. So preacher, you are, you're just trying to make this sound really bad. Church, I wish I could make it sound as bad as it really gonna be. But I can't. I, I can't. And the finest preacher in America can't. I'm telling you, that's how bad the tribulation is going to be. In fact, the Bible says the first three and a half years are gonna be terrible, but the last three and a half years are gonna be so bad that the Bible calls it great tribulation. In fact, our Lord said that that time's going to be shortened because if it weren't shortened, nobody would survive. You say, preacher, you trying to scare me? Yep. Brother Russell taught in our class this morning, fear can be a good thing. If you're here this morning and you don't know that you know that you know that you know that you know, that you're saved and going to heaven, I'd be fearful. I would be fearful. Because, because, in just a moment, when we dismiss the service and we go home, and let's just say that this afternoon, the rapture takes place. We have no service tonight. You know why? We're in heaven. The rapture of the church takes place. Once the rapture is done, the next prophetical event is tribulation. And so you could be in a service like this, enjoying heat or air conditioning and a soft cushioned seat. And the next day, you're in full-blown tribulation. But for those of us today that are born again, boy, I'm so glad to report we have a future that involves peace and healing. That millennial peace speaks of a time when Jesus is gonna come and for 1,000 years, he's gonna set up his kingdom on this earth and the Bible says that we will rule and reign with him and the Bible says the curse will be lifted from the earth and man, it's gonna be like one gigantic glorified honeymoon for 1,000 years with the Son of God and the King of kings and Lord of lords. Here's what I'm saying. Why would you, miss, why would you wanna miss the last one for the first one? You said, Brother Pope, I don't believe a word you said. Well, very kindly, I want to say, you will become a believer. Either now or later. But you will become a believer. And I believe this too. I believe the Holy Spirit will remind people that they had an opportunity. And yet they turned it away. This is not make-believe. This is not fairy tale. I'm telling you, church, these things are gonna happen. And if you're here today or you're watching by way of the live stream and you say, Brother Pope, I don't know for sure I'm saved, I'm gonna tell you, you need to run to this altar. 
I wouldn't wait. You're here this morning and you say, well, preacher, everybody thinks I'm saved, but I don't have any assurance. I wouldn't wait. I wouldn't care. You say, well, pastor, what do people, I wouldn't care what anybody thinks. Don't let your spouse hold you back. Don't let your parents hold you back. Don't let your kids hold you back. If you're here and you say, preacher, I I don't know. I'm going to tell you what, I would run down to this altar as fast as I could and I'd get to the Savior. Would you bow your heads with me all over the house today? Father, we thank you for loving us enough to send Jesus for us. That's why he came. He doesn't want tribulation for us. He wants peace for us. That's why he came. That's why the Lord was born a virgin in a manger because he wanted his people to experience peace, love, and joy, happiness, fulfillment. God, I have no idea who I'm preaching to, but I, Lord, if there's one here today, if there's one, and they're not sure of heaven, they're not sure that they're gonna miss this monumental tribulation. Father, I pray today that they would let go and let God have his way. God, help them to come. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd work in the hearts of our people. They have people they care very deeply about, mamas and daddies. Some of these folks have children. They're lost. Others, maybe a grandparent, a coworker that they care deeply about, and they're lost. And God, I pray today maybe our people would just gather around this altar and just mention those names to thee. And God, I pray that you would save in these last days that we're living in. Lord, have your way in this invitation, please. And we thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Question or two, how many are here today would say, Pastor, if I died today, now I want you to be honest with me now. You'd say, Preacher, if I died today, I know for sure that I would go to heaven. I know that I'm saved. I know I'm born again. I know I've been born again. If that's you, you'd slip your hand up as a testimony to the Lord. I know that I'm saved. Praise the Lord. You can lower your hands. Let me ask you a second question though. How many are here this morning and you'd be incredibly honest right now? You'd be incredibly honest and you'd say, Pastor, I want to go to heaven. I'm just not sure I would. And I want you to pray for me about that. Preacher, I want to go. I'm just not sure I would. Pray for me. Is there one like that anywhere today? Right now, you'd slip your hand up and let me pray for you. I see that little hand. Is there another anywhere? Pastor, if I died today, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? If you're watching right now by way of live stream and uh, you've heard the message today, And you say, Brother Pope, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. I want you right now, listen, friend. I want you right now, without a moment's hesitation, I want you to reach for your phone. And I want you to call that number on your screen. And we have somebody who would love to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you right now, okay? Please call. You're here this morning and you raised your hand or didn't, or didn't raise your hand, but you, you know you're not sure of heaven. Here's what I want you to do in just a moment. I want you to come. I'm gonna ask our personal workers 
if they would just come at this time and find a place up here in the altar. And if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I need the Lord. I need the Lord, all right? We're gonna stand in just a moment. I want you to come. I want you to come. Or you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, there's somebody on my heart. I love them with all of my heart. They mean the world to me, but they're lost. And I know they're lost. They know they're lost. I know that they're not ready to meet the Lord, okay? And today, maybe you would just slip out and find a place around this old-fashioned altar and just mention their name to the Lord of Lords today. Let's all stand this morning. Father, thank you. I know this is a serious message for a Sunday morning. But Lord, I believe this is what you wanted. And Lord, I pray today that you'd burden our hearts for souls. Lord, these things that we've talked about today are not pie in the sky. Lord, these things are gonna happen. Lord, they're gonna happen. And Lord, it's, it's, it's imperative that we're ready. Oh Lord, that we're ready. Lord, that one that's here in our midst today and they're not sure that they're going to heaven. Father, today, I pray they'd put their pride to the side. And I pray they'd come and let us take the word of God and show them how they can be born again by the grace of God. Help folks to call. God, right now, do a work. God, may right, right now, may we pour our hearts out for our lost loved ones that before this day of the Lord comes, that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Father, have your way in the invitation, please. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Our heads are out, our eyes are closed. We have some, we have some fellows in the uh, altar and ladies. And if you're here this morning, say, Brother Pope, I don't know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. Why don't you come right now? Would you come? Well, preacher, everybody thinks I'm saved. That's all right. It's all right. And don't let pride, don't, don't let pride take you to hell, whatever you do. While we wait, would you come? Folks are around the altars today. They're praying for their loved ones. Is there somebody that you would like to win in 2023? Somebody the Lord's burdened your heart about? Why don't you come today and just mention their name to the Lord? Would you come? I didn't preach on this today, church, but can I ask you this? Are you ready to meet the Lord? You say, well, preacher, I'm, you know, I'm saved. Okay, praise the Lord for that. But, but, but secondarily, are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready to stand before the Lord? Is your lifestyle, are you living in such a way that you know that if you were to stand before the Lord, you could stand before the Lord with confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming? You say, Pastor, no, no, I'm not right with God. Okay. Well, today's a good day to get right. Today's a good day. Would you come? Would you come? Folks are coming. How about you? Would you come? Today's a good day to get close to the Lord. Would you come? Oh, listen. Make sure, make sure you leave. Make sure there's nothing between your soul and the Savior. Folks are coming. Folks are coming. How about you? Somebody else? I know, folks, I know this is a tough message for Sunday morning. I know. But I think we need to start preaching a few tough messages.
Folks, boy, I tell you, folks are lost, aren't they? Is there anybody else needs to come while we wait? Anybody else? You can look up this way. We're going to sing this little chorus. The invitation is still going on. Folks are in the altar. If you need to come, you come. Hey, look right up here just for a minute, right before we go. If you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, I am not sure I'm ready. Don't you wait. We've got Brother Ethan over here on this side. We've got Brother Terry over here that's not dealing with, with, not dealing with anybody. You come. Don't you wait. Oh, listen. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to come to a service like this and then miss heaven? That'd be terrible. And so you come today. While we sing, you come today. If God's dealing with your heart, let's sing it together. Church, ready? All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I sing that little chorus, the last part. Let's sing it one more time. Ready? I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior. Let's do it one more time. One more time, church. Go. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior. I